My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. This is a CBC Podcast. Last week on the program, we brought you a story about Reader's Digest Canada. After more than 75 years, the American parent company has decided the Canadian, English, and French editions of that magazine will no longer be available. April of next year is the point at which Reader's Digest Canada ceases to exist. Reader's Digest has had a huge impact on many, many people across this country. One listener, Elizabeth Baugh, is somebody who has had um, her own personal experience with this magazine, such that she wrote to us after hearing our program. She wrote to us from Colburn, Ontario. Her letter begins, an article in Reader's Digest changed my life. When you get a letter like this, you have to learn more about it. And so we've dialed up Elizabeth to hear her story. Elizabeth, good morning. Good morning, Matt. Thanks for writing us. I had to. I sat there and thought about it and thought, I just have to tell it. It's such an unusual and fabulous story. All right. So tell us, you say that Reader's Digest and an article in that magazine changed your life. How did what you read change your life? Okay. A teeny bit of background for context. I was born with a facial birthmark called an arteriovenous malformation. Basically, my right cheek and my tongue were affected. And the tricky thing about it, it's very rare, one in a hundred thousand cases of live births, um, is blood vessels where you shouldn't have them. So if you try to take it away, they're intermingled with nerve and muscle, you end up with nerve and muscle damage. If you don't take enough away, it just fills up again. So I had not been very successful. I, I grew up as a child with it. I had surgery as a teenager, which it wasn't successful. It was very traumatic and it did come back. But I got married and had four children, and through my pregnancies, the condition worsened. And after my fourth child was born, I really knew I needed help. Um, my tongue, it had grown, and it was pushing my teeth out of alignment. I couldn't chew food. I was choking all the time. But I couldn't find any answers. I didn't know where to turn. You have to remember, this was the early 80s, and there was no internet mm -hmm. and no Dr. Google. And so I even asked my children's pediatrician, if I came to you now as a child, where would you send me? I had been presented to the College of Plastic Surgeons, a lot of murmuring and scratching heads, no answers. Um, my child's pediatrician said, oh, there's a doctor in Boston doing wonderful things with burns. Well, not my issue. So again, no answer. So in 1982, I was visiting my parents and I picked up Reader's Digest. It was always in our home growing up. Mm -hmm. And there was an article about an architect of the face. An architect of the face. An architect of the face. And I thought, an architect? That sounds like I, I need that. And here was a doctor who had trained in France uh, with building a whole new field of craniofacial surgery. He was at Sick Kids Hospital with a multidisciplinary team an hour away from where I was living in Niagara-on-the-Lake at the time. And I'd never known about this. What did you do? I called and I got an appointment right away. And it was just a life-changing experience. First of all, it was 
a whole team looking at the whole person. So I wasn't just a cheek or a tongue. Mm. I was, how are you living as a person with this? I had successful surgery and I became friends with the psychiatrist on the team, Dr. Arlette Lefebvre. And after visiting her a few times during follow-up treatments, she said, it's very unusual that people grow up the way you did. I think you could help others. And I kind of was puzzled. I'd never talked to anybody about my face. Not that I wouldn't have. There was just never the occasion to. And she asked me if I would meet with another family, a family, uh, and got their permission. And I sat with a mother and her teenage daughter while they discussed the teenage daughter having surgery, which she didn't want, and which the mother very much wanted her to have. And I knew, I knew the whole story. I knew why each of them felt the way they did. And I knew it just because I'd lived it. And so in addition to leading you to that surgeon, reading that piece led you to the creation of this organization about face? That's right. What, That's what, right. Just, we, we only have a few minutes, but, but tell us what, what that organization does. It is an active and vibrant resource almost 40 years later, Matt, for anyone living with a facial difference. Uh, it doesn't matter how you got it. We started with birth defects, but if you acquired a difference, they have a host of valuable resources for new parents, a trailblazer programs for, for children and youth with topics like coping with bullying, mindfulness, and they even have a camp trailblazer for teens. They also have peer-to-peer -peer adult programs and all activities to build community. One of the, the most exciting campaigns they have mm. is for human resource professionals called My Difference Should Not Make a Difference to get people working uh, in that field to consider facial difference when they're thinking about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Can you imagine your life now had you not happened to pick up that magazine in 1982? I cannot. Because it changed my whole career. I went on to have a career in the charitable sector, which I've just retired from. And I, I've just got to meet incredible people. I didn't do this on my own. It was a team of wonderful people, volunteers, friends who who uh, supported me in the beginning with About Face, and then others around the world who, who've helped make it a success. What does that tell you? I mean, we talked about this last week. I mean, people would find the magazine in the doctor's office and you'd read the jokes and you might pass around some of the things that were in there. But this is, this is all on a whole other level. What does it tell you just briefly about what that magazine meant to you? Oh, uh, so much. I still have that original copy. Mm. Um, yeah, it really did change my life. And, you know, maybe someone else would have done this at another time, but um, it, it allowed me to have a better life and also to help many others. So it's incredible. You know how they used to go around and you'd win the cash sweepstakes from Reader's Digest? Mm -hmm. Remember the big envelopes that mm -hmm. came in? I actually feel like I won the life suite. <laughs> it's kind of amazing when you think about it. It's really powerful. Yeah, it is. I'm really glad, A, that you managed to get a hold of that magazine in 1982, but also that you heard our conversation and um, were willing to write to us, but also take our call. Elizabeth, thank you very much. My pleasure, Matt. Thank you so much. Have a great day.
You too. Elizabeth Baugh is the founder of About Face. She's in Colburn, Ontario. And she heard our conversation last week about the end of Reader's Digest Canada and thought that she had a story to share with us and would email it to us. Um, Delighted that she did. If you have anything that you want to comment on on the program, you can get in touch. The email address is thecurrent at cbc.ca. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.